to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. I'm Rick Paschkus, and I welcome you to the ABA's Business Law Section's podcast program, To the Extent That. And today's series, Selected Lessons from the Director's Handbook, Situations Commonly Encountered in the Boardroom, we'll be discussing director misconduct. Let me introduce Frank. Frank Placenti is a partner and leader of the U.S. Corporate Governance Practice of Squire Patton Bonds. He is currently the chair of the Business Law Section's Corporate Governance Committee, and he is the editor of the BLS book, Director's Handbook, a field guide to 101 situations commonly encountered in the boardroom. Frank was also founding president of the American College of Governance Council. So Frank, I give the podcast to you. Hello, everyone, and thank you for uh, joining us today uh, for uh, the second in our series of podcasts uh, based upon the director's handbook uh, that Rick was kind enough to mention. Please be on the lookout for the remaining uh, podcasts in this series, and you may want to look for the first one, which dealt with uh, compensation committee practice uh, that was uh, just uh, published. Uh, Today, we're going to be addressing one of the 101 situations uh, that was uh, described in the handbook uh, relating to director misconduct. And we're pleased to have with us today to address this topic, the author of that chapter, uh, Holly Gregory of Sidley in Austin. Uh, Holly leads the corporate governance practice at Sidley. Uh, She is a former chair of the ABA Governance Committee and is currently serving as the president of the American College of Governance Council. She's truly one of the luminaries of the U.S. governance practice. More difficult and some of the most high profile governance situations um, that we all read about uh, uh, in our uh, our, uh, professional reading. Holly, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Frank. Let's, uh, I guess, start at the beginning. Uh, The topic of this podcast is director misconduct. So what constitutes director misconduct? Well, director misconduct uh, can be hard to define. Uh, We know it when we see it, but I think we can best define it by understanding what's expected of directors, both in terms of legal requirements and also in terms of group dynamics or board culture. So, The board under state law is the body that has responsibility and authority for managing and directing the affairs of the corporation. And it makes decisions by majority vote or in some circumstances by a supermajority vote. Each director individually bears fiduciary obligations to the company and to the stockholders in participating in this collective board responsibility for the um, affairs of the corporation. Now, as fiduciaries, directors are expected to bring their own independent judgment to deliberations and votes on board actions. But once the board has made a decision, the directors are really bound by that decision 
as are corporate officers and employees. And directors also must comply with corporate um, article of, of incorporation, bylaws, and policies, including policies that the board has established. So when a director leaks confidential information or otherwise acts in contravention of a board policy or a board decision, the director's actions can be harmful to the company. They can be disruptive to the board's um, oversight, and they can damage the culture of boardroom trust that's really necessary for directors to um, efficiently reach consensus after they've aired um, the, their diverse perspectives. Director misconduct, of course, comes in a variety of forms, and so it's hard to give a global definition. Um, and the conduct could be intentional misconduct or it could be inadvertent misconduct. And some examples include a breach of a fiduciary duty, for example, by misusing corporate assets, by breaching board confidentiality or other confidential information of the corporation, or acting on a conflicted basis without disclosing the conflict to the board. Um, it could also include a failure to abide by company and board policies, including the company's compliance policies and corporate governance guidelines. For example, this could happen by acting or speaking on behalf of the board or the company without authorization or trading in the company's securities without notification or approval pursuant to company policies. Um, it could occur through engagement in disruptive or inappropriate behavior in the boardroom or in interactions with management and employees. And it could occur through um, interfering in uh, company operations or uh, trying to work against a decision that the board has made. So it's a, it's a broad definition. And again, um, we know it when we see it, but it's hard to describe in detail every circumstance that could constitute uh, board direct misconduct. Context really matters. You know, Holly, in my own practice, one of the things that I've frequently encountered is simply uh, a director who in the boardroom is disruptive, disrespectful uh, of other uh, members, making it very, very difficult to uh, actually conduct the business of the board. Would mm -hmm. you include that in your definition of director misconduct? Yes, it can give, it can arise to director misconduct if it's really disruptive. Again, I think engaging in disruptive or inappropriate behavior in the boardroom to the extent that it interferes with the board's ability to, you know, reach efficient consensus can arise to misconduct. So Holly, what, what can a board actually do to protect itself uh, from and lower the risk of director misconduct in the first place? Well, I think there's a tired truism that the best defense is a strong offense, and I think it applies here. So um, what is that offense? It's about setting expectations for director behavior and creating um, an environment um, that's appropriate for, for the board. And that those really are the best tools for limiting the risk of director misconduct. Uh, when you think about it, for a board to be an effective forum um, to come to decisions. It needs to be a forum in which a variety of views can be explored and debated. 
And to do so, directors need to respect and trust and rely on one another. And at times, directors will find it necessary to defer to one another's judgment. The goal here is to create a supportive atmosphere where dissent and disagreement can both be expressed and resolved. So a well-functioning board is one that encourages directors to ask questions and engage in sort of healthy skepticism while respecting one another's styles and strengths. Um, Achieving this culture, uh, I, I think, starts with a baseline agreement about the behaviors that are expected and valued by the board. And these include things like respect for the distinct role of the board and the management, a commitment to fiduciary obligations and corporate policies and to the decisions that the board reaches, a commitment to um, the process of seeking consensus on issues after an informed and deliberative process that involves really listening actively to other viewpoints and using self-control so as to not dominate discussions. Um, It includes respecting the limits of board discussion time. I think, you know, at the heart of this is really a respect for the expertise and viewpoints of fellow directors and of the management team and the willingness to at times defer to or rely on others' expertise. Um, in addition, the ability to ask, ask questions of management in a constructive way, um, the ability to develop trust among the directors and between the directors and management, and certainly the, the um, importance of protecting um, board confidentiality and the confidentiality of uh, information that belongs to the company. And finally, you know, really preparing for meetings and abiding by meeting agendas, um, coming prepared to discuss and express views. That's kind of at the heart of it. Now, there are lots of things that boards do to help set these expectations about the norms of behavior. And they include things like conducting individual director evaluations, training uh, directors on confidentiality requirements and and key policies, periodically reviewing those policies with directors, uh, talking about how the board would address director misconduct, what tools are available to it, and, you know, reviewing with counsel, you know, whether there are Uh, ways to improve the ability of the board to address misconduct should it arise. And then, you know, I think key is also when director candidates are being considered really carefully assessing before the nomination um, process, you know, whether they are a good fit, not only in terms of expertise, but in terms of their personal characteristics, whether they are um, people who have a reputation for working well with others, committing to confidentiality, upholding fiduciary obligations, abiding by company policy. And and finally, part of this board culture is to make it clear that the lead director or the non-executive chairman or the chair of the governance committee or another strong independent director is prepared to pull individual directors aside in the early stages if a problematic behavior arises. Now, I think part and parcel of this preparation 
is is really helping directors to understand how they can appropriately disagree. Um, again, the board is meant to be a place where diverse viewpoints are brought together in the hope of achieving consensus, but understanding that when true consensus can't be reached, there will be a majority rule. And so directors need to understand what they can do when they disagree with the decision. Um, and, and there are a range of possible responses for a director who doesn't agree with the direction that the board is going in. The director can first try to convince the majority to, a, to come to his or her point of view. And this can include by suggesting that an issue be tabled for further information and study, or that uh, expert analysis be brought to bear. Um, alternatively, a director who disagrees with fellow directors may decide to actually defer to and rely upon the judgment of the majority and accept the course of action that the majority has determined. And you often see in boardrooms a discussion where there is some disagreement but when the vote is taken, everyone votes in favor because directors have listened to one another and those who had disagreements have either been convinced or have decided to defer to those whose judgment they respect. If a director finds these options aren't satisfactory, there are other options. Um, the director, if he, feels, if he or she feels strongly, can abstain from voting or can vote against the proposal. And if a director feels very strongly, uh, he or she may request that that abstention or dissent be recorded in the meeting minutes to express disapproval of the decision and as a means of seeking protection from future liability um, for that particular decision. If over time there is serious and continuing disagreement, a director may wish to consider resigning. And this may be appropriate where the director believes that management isn't dealing with the directors, shareholders, or public in good faith, and the director feels that he or she has done everything he, he or she can within the boardroom context to try to address that. Um, the director may believe that information being disclosed by the company is inadequate, incomplete, or incorrect, and has tried to take action within the board setting to address that, but has been unsuccessful. Or um, the director may find that his or her view um, on a regular basis is being disregarded in, entirely, that the director is always sort of in a minority role. In which case, if the director is unable to convince people to come to his or her point of view at times, that director really is ineffective and resignation may be a good option. Now, of course, resignation may trigger an obligation to disclose in an SEC filing the disagreement underlying the resignation you know, for a public company director. And, and companies and even directors are well advised to get advice of counsel before uh, sort of you know, either you know, filing this disclosure or making this uh, decision. Uh, Holly, I wanted to drill down on one thing uh, that you mentioned about the the lead director um, investigating or dealing with um, uh, a misbehaving director earlier in the early in the process. I'm going to test your memory. Uh, you gave me some advice once in a situation that I was dealing with, where I had a 
a obstreperous director who the other directors uh, found to be difficult. And, um, and, and as I recall, the advice was if you have somebody who is behaving well for a while and then starts to misbehave, that can all, sometimes be a symptom of them feeling disrespect. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit and how you can deal with a director who was at one time a, a viable, productive, and helpful director who may have uh, uh, steered off the tracks? Absolutely. So, you know, some misconduct is not intentional and may simply be a reflection of a director who is. Uh, you know, has some other things going on or, or may, um, you know, feel um, that he or she is no longer, you know, having the influence that they had in the past. Um, we see this sometimes as, um, you know, directors age out. There can be some issues. Um, it may occur if there has been a major disagreement in the boardroom and, um, a director is disgruntled and there really hasn't been an opportunity for uh, the board to come back together and, and do some work on, on building trust. So I encourage the lead independent director or the chair of the governance committee or a non-executive, you know, independent chairman to be attuned to how directors are conducting themselves. And in the early stages of seeing signs of trouble, be willing to you know, take the director aside and, and try to find out what's going on. And those conversations can start with a question, how did you think that meeting went? Um, I, I, I felt that you, um, I observed that you expressed some discomfort in the following ways. Would you like to talk about it? What's going on? So there, are, you know, I think early on intervention in any kind of group dynamic can always be helpful. Um, it needs to be done in sort of an open-ended way with the, with the lead director, chair of the committee, or uh, independent chairman really listening and trying to understand what's going on with the director. And sometimes just having that conversation is enough for the reset. In other circumstances, you know, more is needed. And, and that can be, you know, feedback, education, coaching to, to try to help um, redirect the behavior. You know, in some cases, I think what some people will see as a difficult director or a misbehaving director really isn't that at all. It's just somebody who has a different view, strongly held and strongly expressed. Uh, and uh, perhaps you have a board culture uh, that's really the problem. It's just not accepting of differing viewpoints. Is that something you've seen as well? Absolutely. And and that's why board culture really is so important. And I try to emphasize when I talk about board culture, what you're trying to achieve in a strong board culture is an environment that encourages different views to be expressed, that's committed to really listening actively to the viewpoints that different directors bring to the table but then tries to deliberate on those differences and work through them. And if directors have different viewpoints, but feel that they were heard and that there was an opportunity, but the board ultimately went in a different direction, usually a director can accept that. 
So again, the, the keystone for all of this is a strong board culture, the opportunity for deliberation and discussion and, and disagreement, but also the commitment to work through disagreement to the extent possible in an efficient way and a commitment to all of all directors to understand that I may not always agree with everything, um, but I will agree with the action that a majority of my fellow directors who I respect decides to take. You know, and I think this has become particularly important as we have introduced diversity into our boardrooms. Um, I, when I do board training, one of the things that I mention is that having brought people with diverse backgrounds and diverse thinking into the boardroom, wouldn't it be a mistake to shut them down and not listen because they have a different viewpoint or a different way of expressing themselves? I, I agree with that. I, I would reflect, however, that I have not seen um, diversity in board composition lead to more director misconduct. In fact, I think in many ways, um, greater diversity in the boardroom helps to bring a board more focus in its culture and coming together. No, I agree with that. And I'm not suggesting that diversity leads to misconduct, but it does sometimes lead to a more uh, diverse and fractious discussion. Um, and I, I'm simply guarding, I'm cautioning board members to guard against viewing um, a differing viewpoint expressed strongly as, as misconduct. I don't think it is. I agree with that fully. Well, let's move on, um, Holly, and talk a little bit about um, what options are available to board, what legal options are maybe available to a board uh, when the counseling that you suggest hasn't worked um, and a director uh, continues to be uh, difficult or engaging in uh, misbehavior or misconduct. So the board's options for addressing director misconduct really depend on the nature of the conduct at issue and the director's motivations and willingness to change. So I, I mentioned unintentional misconduct before and the tools that are available um, for unintentional director misconduct really focus on providing feedback, um, education and coaching. Um, if the misconduct is unintentional, it, it could be due to a lack of understanding about the company and the board's policies or fiduciary duties or a lack of understanding about the impact of the director's behavior. And so it's often sufficient to point out the problem and to do some education around the relevant policies. Um, and, and that can also take place in part through the um, individual director evaluation process that many companies use. That pr provides a good opportunity for feedback to directors without having their behavior called out specifically as a problem. Um, intentional misconduct is far more difficult. And um, the mechanisms for addressing intentional misconduct are varied. Um, at one extreme, there is removal, but this is very limited. A board is really constrained in its ability to remove a director other than by waiting until the end of the elected term and not renominating the director. So Delaware law, as an example, provides only three ways to remove a director. 
upon the election and qualification of a successor. So that means waiting to the end of the director's term and not renominating them and instead nominating a new director. Or the director decides to resign or removal by a shareholder vote. So if if the the board feels that removal is the solution, they need to think about um, waiting to the end of the term or asking for the director's resignation, but the director does not have to give it or in an extreme situation, taking it to a shareholder vote at a special meeting or through um, an action by written consent where shareholders are allowed to act in that manner. And by the way, of course, that option becomes, is really nuclear because especially for a public company, it's going to be very public that there's a problem on, on the board. Um, in addition, uh, state law may permit a company to have some director qualifications in their charter um, so that a director's service automatically terminates if the director fails to be qualified and, and such qualifications could potentially include uh, commitments to abide by company policies. Um, we can talk about that a little bit more. Courts have not, there, there's some indication that this is doable, but the problem is the board can't have discretion. Another option is for reprimand. A board can formally reprimand or censure a director. This is internal. Um, this is a way of, of stating very definitively that the behavior is, you know, out of line. Um, but unless it's done publicly, this does not give an indication to the public um, that action has been taken. And for example, if the misconduct was public, unless the reprimand is also um, public, uh, it may be um, perceived that the board has condoned the conduct. I mentioned before you, the board can request a resignation. And um, again, that can't be forced, but that is often the pathway for a director who is engaging in misconduct to leave the board. Um, we are often engaged in situations where uh, a director is approached and asked to, to resign. And often, I, I would say in the majority of circumstances, if asked to resign, uh, directors will resign. If a director won't resign and refuses to abide by the standards of director behavior that are expected. Another option is to, in effect, isolate the director by um, forming a special committee of the board or a committee of the board except for that director to engage in deliberation and decisions on matters that a committee of the board would be allowed to address or to serve as a vehicle for discussion and then take matters to the full board, including the isolated director, so that you have the formalities in place. Um, that's an unusual mechanism, but it has been used, um, as you know, Frank. I know you uh, have experience uh, with it. I have experience with it. And then finally, yeah. I mean, the, the best thing is the refusal to renominate. Now, most boards, all directors are up 
for re-election every year. So the refusal to renominate is a strong uh, is, is a strong mechanism because you usually only have a few more months until you know until the director can be off the board. It's more problematic in a classified board where a director may be in the middle of a three-year term, and and that's where um, you know it's not as a, effective a mechanism. Let's talk a little bit about the isolation or committee structure uh, strategy. Um, there are some limitations on that, are there not, Holly? Certainly. Delaware law, as an example, um, has some things that cannot be delegated to committees. And so the workaround for that is to use a committee to essentially serve as a place to discuss and deliberate, but then still take the issue to the full board with a recommendation <clears throat> from that committee um, on 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 how to move forward. I'd also like to refer the readers to, or the listeners, I should say, to an article in uh, the 2014-2015 uh, winter edition of the Business Lawyer published by the ABA uh, by uh, Chancellor, Vice Chancellor Laster and John Marks Berkowitz of uh, the Richard Layton firm that um, deals with the rights and duties of blockholder representative shareholders. Uh, but in that uh, article, uh, Vice Chancellor Laster in particular cautions folks trying to use these committee structures not to go too far and use them to essentially conduct the entire business of the board in committee to the detriment of one of the sitting directors who's simply taking unpopular positions. So that's worth reading. Um, so what what um, uh, what kind of committees have you seen used in this area? Holly, you mentioned a special committee. What about delegation of most of the uh, ongoing work of the board to an executive committee? Well, again, that can be done subject to to the limitation. What you don't want to do is have the board uh, appear to be, you know, disenfranchising an elected representative of the shareholders. And so, to the extent that the matter is is one that can be dealt with in a committee. Um, it's it's okay. Again, I do like the notion of you know using a committee um, to to do the legwork and then have the committee come to a full board meeting with a recommendation. Now, of course, where the director is conflicted, you will want the committee to be making a decision. So, for example, if you had a situation involving litigation and the director was conflicted because the director was involved in the litigation in, in some manner, you would have the board committee have authority to make a lot of the decisions around the litigation in order to protect attorney-client privilege and you know, confidentiality generally. So Holly, as we wrap up today, um, uh, do you wanna offer a few uh, closing thoughts about uh, how to prevent director misconduct and then how to deal with it when it occurs? Well, I, I think the important thing is to set a culture, set norms around behaviors and address misconduct when it arises. Director misconduct, whether it's intentional or unintentional, can harm the company, can impact board effectiveness and can damage individual reputations. And, Boards can try to minimize the risk of director misconduct by 
really setting norms of behaviors, conducting regular board and individual director evaluations, and ensuring that directors receive appropriate education and training. Um, boards should be aware of what recourse is available when a director does misbehave and be aware that boards usually don't have the ability to remove a director, but that there are other options available that they should consider. Thank you, Holly, and thank you for spending some time with us today and for your uh, leadership in the uh, ABA and, and other governance organizations. Uh, thank you all for listening today. We've been privileged to have with us Holly J. Gregory of Sidley and Austin, and I hope you'll agree with me that um, she provided us with some very practical advice on how to deal with director misconduct. Thank you and good day. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That... The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.